1: President Donald Trump lit into former FBI Director James Comey in tweets today, saying he drafted his exoneration of Hillary Clinton based on political polls that showed her winning the 2016 election. It's the latest swap of Twitter allegations between the two, following Comey's first television interview to promote his book last night on ABC. Comey seemed to hold nothing back in the interview.
2: I don't think he's medically unfit to be president. I think he's morally unfit to be president.
1: Joining me is Bill Gavin, former assistant director of the FBI. Bill, what part of the interview surprised you most or concerned you most?
3: June, I think that uh, anybody that makes those kinds of statements uh, on the moral fitness of an individual, that kind of concerns me a bit um, more than anything, I think.
1: And the moral fitness of a sitting person? president, does his public assault sometimes crosses into the salacious? Does that undermine the status of the FBI?
3: I think that what both individuals are doing on both sides of the fence, throwing rocks at each other and and, and making statements that, uh, are, to me, are kind of unprofessional. The bottom line is, it tends to, when when the comments are made against the director of the FBI, and the, and they're made from the president, they tend to be believed by the American public, and, and it casts an aspersion upon all FBI employees. And I can guarantee you, June, that that 99.9% of the, the Bureau people, uh, men and women, go to work every single day and do an outstanding job and give their lives and limbs for, for the organization of or for the country. This uh is is uh, it's not it's more than just static in the background it is uh, a diversion from what the fbi is all about and i really believe that uh, maybe this ought to stop and we ought to start both sides ought to start acting as uh, adults rather than uh, kids in a schoolyard
1: does this book weaken comey's credibility as a potential witness against the president in the Mueller investigation or elsewhere
3: I haven't read the book, and um, um, I no doubt will, but I don't know whether or not it'll it'll, uh, uh, diminish his ability to be a witness uh, anyplace. It it all depends upon what he has to say and and how the facts support what he has to say and whether or not the facts that he talks about are classified or not, and I think that's being looked at uh, in great depth right now.
1: Looking at his interview and at the excerpts from his book, since we haven't had a chance to read it yet... um, Do you see a concern, a growing concern or uh, a sort of underpinning of a concern that the president might be open to uh, different kinds of uh, risks because of his connections that were described in the book?
3: That all remains to be seen. Uh, I know that uh, with uh, Bob Mueller's investigation, uh, we have to wait to see how that, how that unfolds. I know that everybody wants it to end immediately. Uh, the president uh, wanted to end months ago. Uh, it's something that's going to go on until Bob Mueller arrives at a conclusion and addresses all the facts that are presented to him. The other important thing, June, is going to be the report of the inspector general, and I think that will be a, a real uh, uh, in the event that will uh, be on the uh, forefront for a, a quite a while and, and present some difficulties for both the uh, for both the Bureau and in the Department of Justice.
1: Bill, how does the timing of this book tour and the publication of the book play in here with Mueller's investigation and with that Inve- inspector general report you just mentioned, it seems to be coming at, at a really sort of critical time.
3: Uh, Sometimes we release a book like that uh, in our own interest rather than the overall interest, and I think that's probably what's happened in this particular case too, June. Um, it's, it's it's a real difficult set of circumstances right now, and and I think the other two things, the I.G.'s report and the and Bob Mueller's report will be important reports.
1: Comey stood by his handling of the FBI's investigation into Hillary Clinton's <coughs> email server, and you know the way he he brought it out on several occasions. One right before the election. Did you agree with his explanation for his rather unusual actions for an FBI director?
3: One thing that I totally disagreed with, uh, Bob, uh, when when um, uh, the director uh, came out with the conclusion that he reached, um, Jim Comey said that uh, uh, he really painted a picture of Hillary Clinton um, um, getting ready to be indicted and then said, you know, there's no way he could do that. My biggest... Concern and and the biggest fault that I find is the Jim Comey rendered a Prosecutive opinion when he was the head of the arguably the best investigative organization in the world and being the head of the investigation, investigative organization does not permit you to render a prosecutive opinion. I think that's where he crossed the line, and, and he does not. To this day, he doesn't think that he crossed the line at that point. I happen to think that he did. He should have put that whole thing right back into the Department of Justice and let uh, the Attorney General handle uh, whatever it is that uh, ensued from that. If she didn't want to handle it, uh, it's on her. It's not on the Bureau. And this is what really started this whole uh, catastrophe that's going on right now.
1: Bill, we have about 40 40- five seconds here could you just explain what impact all this has had in your opinion on the standing and credibility of the fbi
3: well <clears throat> june i think it all depends on uh, how you how you look at it my own personal opinion is that there are a number of people six seven people uh, who betrayed the trust that was given to them in the fbi that's my own opinion and and i just base it on what i know as the rest of the public knows 99.9% of the men and women in the FBI do an outstanding job every single day go to work. Their badges are not tarnished by this event. The only badges that are tarnished are the individuals who betrayed their trust in in uh, what they were supposed to do.
1: Thank you Bill, we have to leave it there. Everyone certainly agrees with that. Thanks Bill Gavin. That's he's a former assistant director of the FBI. The Supreme Court is back in session today. The justices rejected an appeal from former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, who went to prison in 2012. Joining us is Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr. Greg, tell us about the latest Blagojevich appeal and the justices' refusal to take it.
2: Hi, June. Yes, uh, former Illinois Governor Rob Blagojevich, uh, for the second time, tried to get his conviction, his corruption conviction, uh, overturned by the Supreme Court. Uh, Both times the court rejected. Blagojevich's argument was essentially that, uh, so he he was convicted of of things like um, uh, promising a Senate seat in exchange for campaign contributions, and uh, he argued that the jury in his case wasn't required to find that he explicitly promised the Senate seat in exchange for those campaign contributions. The Justice Department told the court not to hear the case, and and they said, look, there's nothing magical about the word explicit. Here, the jury found there really was a quid pro quo, uh, one thing, the contributions in exchange for the the Senate seat, and uh, that's enough, and the Supreme Court decided it didn't need to intervene in the case and didn't need to reconsider his conviction.
1: All right, so let's turn to something that a lot lot of people are watching and that's arguments tomorrow, what's at stake, billions of dollars in the Supreme Court case with a battle over online sales tax. Tell us more about that
2: yeah this this is something that 's familiar to almost anybody who shops online, which is that if you buy something online uh, depending on where you are and who you 're buying it from, you might have to pay sales taxes and you might not have to pay pay sales taxes and The reason is that back in one thousand nine hundred and ninety two the Supreme Court dealing with a case involving catalog sales said sales said that uh, if the retailer does not have a physical presence in the state. So in other words, doesn't have a store, doesn't have a warehouse, doesn't have an office. They can't be forced to collect sales taxes. So a retailer like uh, Overstock, for example, doesn't have uh, any uh, physical presence in the state of Maryland. Uh, Therefore, Overstock doesn't have to, if I'm in Maryland buying something to be for shipment to Maryland, Overstock doesn't doesn't have to charge me the 6% sales tax that would otherwise
1: So, Greg, this is a really unusual case because the state of South Dakota enacted the law that's at issue here so that it would be challenged at the Supreme Court. Explain a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah. In fact, the state of South Dakota knew that its law, uh, which which imposes taxes on any retailer that requires them to collect sales taxes if they meet a certain threshold of sales, uh, South Dakota knew that that law uh, would be struck down under that 1992 Supreme Court decision, which is called Quill. So they actually... Um, uh, passed the law and, and said to the lower courts, look, we know you're going to have to strike down our law. Go ahead and do it because we want to get up to the Supreme Court and we want to ask them to overturn that 1992 decision so we can tax all these out-of-state retailers, and that's exactly where we are right now.
1: So the states are trying to overturn a 26-year-old Supreme Court ruling. What is the response of the retailers?
2: So, so the... Um, <laughs> the It depends on which retailers you're talking about. Because it's,
1: you know, the online, it's a a totally different world than it was 26 years ago as far as online.
2: Yes. So. So traditional retailers, um, the, the ones that are you had brick-and-mortar stores, um, are saying, look, it is time to overturn that quill decision because it's an unfair advantage to the wayfarers and the overstocks of the world that they don't have to charge taxes, but the department store down the street has to. And for that matter, uh, although this is kind of complicated, a, a, a company like Amazon sometimes has to collect taxes and, and generally, generally does. Um, and, and they say that distinction in in this day and age, where economic presence in a state uh, is really what matters, not whether they have you know a physical building there, uh, and, and that's why they say that in this modern age it should be overturned.
1: And what about the online retailers? That's I should have I should have narrowed the focus there. <laughs> yeah,
2: the online retailers say, look, we have set up this world. Everybody has come to rely on this notion that if you don't have a physical presence, you don't have to collect the sales taxes. And they say that the burden on them, in particular, very small Retailers could be immense. They talk about there being more than 12,000 taxing jurisdictions out there, and you have to figure out the taxes for each of those. And sometimes it's hard to figure out what your product actually is with a particular jurisdiction's tax code. So, you know, is uh, a, 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 you know a piece of clothing you create is it uh, is it a coat or is it a shirt? Maybe it's not clear, and maybe those are taxed differently in a particular particular state. So they are basically saying to the court, um, you don't, you should be the ones to put this burden on us. If anybody's going to do it, Congress ought to be the one to do it.
1: So, Greg, just to conclude, we have less than a minute here, but there are three justices, Clarence Thomas, Anthony Kennedy, and Neil Gorsuch, a sort of surprising trio, who have already expressed doubts about the precedent.
2: Yeah, and they did it in different contexts. So, so uh, uh, Justice Kennedy basically invited South, Deca- South Dakota to do what it did here, and a couple years ago in a case, he really called into question whether the Quill ruling makes any sense in this modern age. Uh, Justice Gorsuch said something similar when he was an appeals court judge, and Justice Thomas essentially thinks this entire constitutional doctrine, which is known as the "Don't Fall Asleep Here" the dormant commerce clause, uh, he, he thinks that's an entirely uh, illegitimate doctrine, and the court shouldn't be in the business of. Stra- breaking down state laws on those grounds.
1: Well, I'm sure a lot of law students would be happy to see the dormant Commerce Clause go away. Thanks so much, Greg. And of course, you'll be reporting on this tomorrow from the Supreme Court. That's Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.